All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. It's Fit Nation. All right, let's welcome to the Misfit Nation, Mark Hirschberg. He's the author of the Career Toolkit, uh, Essential Skills uh, for Success, that can help you uh, talk to, from things that you're not taught in school. And he's here to help you help yourself with his skills that he's learned throughout the years. Welcome, Mark, to the Misfit Nation. Thanks for having me on the show. It's great to be here. It's great to have a connection like you uh, for us to get together from uh, basically across the country almost. And uh, now we're here via this beautiful thing called Zoom we have now. We can talk anytime we want, anywhere. Uh, Welcome in. And I want you to tell the Misfit Nation a little bit about you as far back as you want to go to how you came about writing the Career Toolkit. Sure. I have this very interesting dual track career. I came out of MIT in the 90s during the dot-com era, and I began as a software engineer. I realized early on that I wanted to become a CTO, a chief technology officer. But to get that role, to lead that organization, it wasn't just about being the best engineer. It wasn't about being the fastest to solve the problem. There were all these other skills, leadership, communication, negotiating, team building. No one ever taught me that. So I had to develop the skills in myself. And as I was developing them in myself, and we didn't have great podcasts like this back then, I really had to struggle. I realized these skills are not just for executives, they are for everyone. Senior leaders, junior people, solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, all of us benefit from these skills. So I began to train up my team. And as I was doing so, MIT had gotten feedback that these are the skills other companies want to see. So we start up MIT's Career Success Accelerator. I helped start the program. I've been teaching there for the past 20 years. So I've had this parallel career. On the one hand, I'm a CTO. On the other, I've been teaching at MIT and elsewhere. and now have the book, The Career Toolkit, and I speak and talk about those issues as well. Awesome. And I've seen in your bio that I used to track down uh, criminals and terrorists on the dark web. So that's a, that's a whole other aspect of the the technological world. How, how'd you like doing that portion of your, uh, your life? That was certainly some interesting work. As a CTO, I've done a lot of different companies, but my graduate work was in cybersecurity. Typically, we're building tools to help protect your information, better types of passwords, better ways to prevent people from stealing it. This particular company I was at, we were doing more intelligence gathering. So we were understanding who the adversaries were, what they were planning, who they're working with, what and when and how they were going to do things. And then that information would be shared with our customers, corporate companies, and various government agencies. That's outstanding. That's a, that's a tough field to get into, especially on the gathering on, on that side of the web. Uh, Intel, Intel's a not well, uh, I guess, applauded a field in the military or anywhere, really, because they think it's just a bunch of guys with pocket protectors looking at data, it's a lot of work and a lot of hard work to get to get things done to help keep people safe. I always use the analogy, think Paul Revere. Paul Revere may not himself have made that much difference standing on the line, but by telling the military they're coming by land or by sea, he could alert the forces and they could be better deployed to be better utilized. And so that's really what intelligence does. It lets us better utilize the resources we have. Exactly. And your, your book, The Career Toolkit, it's aimed at helping those who were not taught those things in schools. 
why do you believe it's not being taught in colleges or even in, I guess, the business schools that are out there still? Yeah, that's a great question. Business schools do address this a little. We do see in business schools some leadership, some negotiation, some networking. Though I've met many people said, yeah, I had the classes, but really didn't come away with much. Now, at the undergrad level, the problem is schools are run by professors. And now I love professors. I work with them. They are brilliant people. But professors are focused in a very narrow area. To become a professor, you typically get a PhD where you are extremely knowledgeable in one small area. And so what happens is as students, we show up and we say, oh, I'm interested in marketing. Okay, great. So if you want to be a marketing major, we the professors, we the experts decide, you take some of these classes, the entry-level ones, some intermediate, some senior advanced classes. If you take this set of classes, however we define it, and you get through all that, we will give you a piece of paper saying, you have a marketing degree. We're not saying you are even a good marketer, let alone we're not saying you're a good employee. We're just saying you have acquired this amount of marketing knowledge. And that was sufficient for a lot of the history of universities, but it's not sufficient for today. Just having that marketing knowledge or accounting or physics or whatever your degree is in is not sufficient to be a good teammate in today's world. Exactly. And I've noticed through uh, my long college career now that, like you said, there's specialists in every in every college I've went through, through my journey through the military, going to different schools just to keep going. And now as I finished it with Liberty, each professor has a, a background that is specific to what they're teaching. And it's, it's kind of like uh, having horse blinders on and, and seeing just that focus, not anything outside of it. So it's hard to even introduce new things to them Never mind them introduce new things outside. That's right. They're often rewarded in their world. They're rewarded for being very narrow. They're rewarded for being deep in their field and not having to deal with broader issues. So they don't themselves focus on these larger issues and they don't really convey that to their students. So you worked with MIT, an amazing school, and I'm sure that helped you with your technological background. So you created an app to go along with an accompanying app to go with your book. How does that work? When you think about books, particularly nonfiction books, it might be a business book like mine, might even be a self-help book. These books, you read it, you say, wow, there's so much good information here. And then you forget three weeks later, we move on to another book. We get busy with our families, with work, and we often forget a lot of what we've read. Now, my job as an author it's not just to hand you a book. It's not, oh, buy this piece of paper. My job is to help you, to get you to think differently so you can meet some goal you want. In this case, getting a more successful career, developing these skills. So the book is one method for that. But what the app does, it's a free app available on the iPhone and Android. You download the app. And then as long as you open it once a month, just so we know that you're still active, it will pop up each day one of the concepts from the book. So this is going to help reinforce that idea instead of, yeah, I think I read that a month ago is something you get popping up each day, helping you keep it top of mind. You can also use the app if you're about to go into a situation. Let's say you're going to a networking event. You didn't reread my book the night before. So what do you do? You open up the app, you go to those networking tips, you flip right through it and get that refresher right where you need it. That's an awesome accompaniment to a book. And 
And I think that would help a lot of people. It's like you said, once you once you read something and then it, it kind of just fogs away into the fog of wars. It goes, you go through your days, weeks, months, and then having that app pop up and give you the, the tidbits daily or weekly as you sign in, that really helps you keep it focused on you on in your brain and helps you to keep moving forward with your power plan. Exactly. We're actually launching a general version of this app in a couple months so that other authors can do the same with their books and we can help more people and more authors get that information and retain it. That's outstanding. That'll help a lot of authors out there. So along with the, the career toolkit, I mean, people have to have a plan when they go, go through life. Uh, I know as 18-year-olds, when they come out of high school, it's not really a, a set plan. You come out of college, say 22, 23, you think you know what you're doing. You just went to college, paid a lot of money for classes, paid a lot of money for that degree. You might have a degree in marketing. You might have a degree in general business or accounting or fly fishing or something. But what is your actual career plan? So why that is also not taught in college to create a career plan. Why do you think it's important that uh, students or people in general need a career plan? When we think about what else we do in life, big important things require a plan. We never go into battle in the military without a plan. We never do a major project. If the CEO says, here's what we need to do in two years, we never say, okay, everyone, let's wing it, right? The CEO is not going to accept that. We say, okay, let's create a project plan. Let's create a timeline, a budget, some milestones, and not just take it day by day. We have some idea where we're going, how to get there. Now, Eisenhower famously said, no plan ever survives contact with the enemy. Sorry, I think uh, there was someone else who said it. Eisenhower said, it is the act of planning that provides the value. And so these keys are important. We don't say this is a plan and we have to stick to it. We know in the military that never happens. We know in life, in our projects, if I do a two-year plan, there's no way I'm doing in 18 months exactly what I thought I would be doing day one. But by having the plan, we have some idea. Are we off plan? If so, how do we get back? Has the plan shifted? Has our goal shifted? And that's fine. And we're going to adjust the plan. So we're going to create this plan, but we're okay being flexible with it changing. But we can't just say, yeah, no plan. Let's just see where we wind up. That is a recipe for failure. Exactly. And that's how a lot of people hit them. Speed bumps hit that wall. Even if they're in, a, in an awesome career, they, they get into that dream career, but they don't have a plan to move out of that first cubicle they're going to hit that wall and they're not going to make it out of there, especially if you wind up in a, a larger corporation. So how would a, a person get into that corporation and say, how do I get in, become a part of the culture? How do I access that culture? How do I move forward within this company? So once you're in a company, this is once you have the job, I assume, not how to get the job, right? Right. Yes. Once you're in there, certainly you have your role. You have what you're supposed to do and focus on doing that because if you're not fulfilling your task, your job, that's a big problem. But there's more to it than just here's my output, here's what I'm supposed to do. There is that larger company culture. And the culture is not those seven things written on the website about whatever the corporate values are. Most companies, unfortunately, don't really live up to those values. Some do. But there's also the unwritten culture. A guy I know said the culture at his company, whoever yelled loudest won the argument. That's how things worked on his team. 
that I'm sure was not listed on the website as a corporate value, but that's the reality. Now that's an extreme case. That's not a good value, but there are cultural values that we all face. Understanding these cultural values in which you work, that's important. Can you say to the boss in the meeting, hey, boss, I disagree with you, or will your boss not like that? Is your boss someone who prefers outside the meeting say, hey, listen, um, I don't think that was the right thing to do, and here's why, but you do it one-on-one, or maybe don't even tell your boss she's wrong. She just doesn't like it at all, right? So it really depends on the culture, and understanding these unwritten rules can help us navigate and move ahead, and not understanding them means we're going to be stepping on a bunch of landmines throughout our navigation at this company. And those landmines undoubtedly will stop you from moving up in that organization and make you want to or ultimately have to leave that organization for something else that you really didn't want to be doing in the first place. Exactly. Once you're there, the easiest way to move forward is usually in the organization where they know you, where you have that reputation. Because if you have to move to another company, no one knows you yet. They don't know you're a hard worker. They don't know you're a good team player. You have to spend all this time proving yourself again. So if you can build that solid reputation and be known as someone they want on their team in the company, it's easiest to keep drafting at that company and keep moving up. And it's been said in the recent times, I guess in the last decade or so, that your your network is what really gets you into positions that gets you landing that uh, interview that helps you find that perfect place to work or helps you just get a job. So you have your network and then you also have to learn how to sit behind that desk or sit behind that table in front of either one person or a panel of people asking you questions about the job you're looking for. How does someone become a better interviewee slash, I guess, as you're being interviewed, you can also look at yourself as the interviewer because you're also interviewing them to see if you want to work for them. Yes, it should always be two-sided. It's not just, hey, please get me this job. Do I even want to work for you? And that's not necessarily insulting, not like, oh, I'm, I'm too good for this. But it's, will this be a cultural fit? Are you an organization where you have to yell to win the argument? I don't think I want to work there. Okay, I want to figure this out. I want to understand if the cultural values or if the nature of the work is a fit. Maybe, for example, you're a very team-oriented person. And this is a culture where it's very individualistic. Both of them are valid cultures, not one better than the other, but it's not a fit for you. You're not going to do well there because you're going to be constantly looking to collaborate with other people. And they're going to say, come on, get away from me. I got my own work. Why are you, why are you trying to get me to do yours where you're thinking this is all teamwork. So we want to uncover that during the process. But here's the thing. If you have never interviewed someone else, I recommend doing so. Even if it's not part of your job, ask your manager, say, hey, can I just sit in on some of the interviews? Because when you're on the other side, when you see how it goes, you start to get a better sense of what works, what doesn't work. And that's going to help you be a more effective interviewee. Definitely. I think that the practice on on the other side of the table definitely helps you become better on the the opposing side or the mirror side of that table. In getting into that position, you have to have people around you. You have to have a, you have to have your village that gets you to these positions that point you in the right direction. How can, how should a person build their network? Should it be about around the career field or just a generalized network? 
I recommend a broad network. Too many people think, oh, hey, you seem like a nice guy, but you're not in my field. So what are you going to do for me? Not going to bother. And that's unfortunately short-sighted for a number of reasons. First, we may be in the same field later on. These days, people change jobs, change companies, change industries. The nature of one industry is can change a lot. So for example, you might be, let's say, in the food services industry, but then you work at a big company, let's say a McDonald's, and along your career path, you wind up in the corporate social responsibility group. You never thought of yourself as corporate social responsibility. You said, ah, food services, operations, but now you're in this other group, and you were someone in the CSR space who I kind of blew off years ago because I thought, ah, we're never going to cross paths. Well, I just lost an opportunity. So first, be broad because you never know where it can lead. Second, be broad because it's not just you I'm connecting with. It is your entire network and your spouse, your kids, your friends, your former coworkers, people you know, maybe have helped me down the road. So I don't just think, well, can you help me today? It's your whole network. And in fact, networking is never about what can you do for me today? It's about who knows what's going to happen in the long run. Let's build this relationship and help each other in the future in ways we can't predict. So always take a broad view of who you want in your network. That's great advice. And I believe with the invento or advent of LinkedIn, it helped uh, people to broaden that network even further because if me and you become uh, connections on LinkedIn, I not only have you as a connection, I now have your second level, third level connections as people that are possibly in my network too. And that just broadens that whole network as well. As I was coming out of the military, our, our classes, the, the man, the gentleman told us, if you're not LinkedIn, you're linked out. And that, he said, you have to network in order to be successful outside of the uniform. And I believe that's 100% correct. That's true. Now, one thing to note, LinkedIn is a tool, but LinkedIn itself is not networking. And this is a mistake I see a lot of people make. They say, oh, here's someone, I'm going to connect with you on LinkedIn. Adding someone on LinkedIn and saying this person is in your network, that's like swiping right on someone on Tinder and saying this person's your significant other. We would never do that. You don't say, oh, look, I just swiped on Sarah. That's it, Sarah, we're dating. I haven't met her yet, but you know, we swiped right. We matched. You say, Mark, come on, you're insane. She showed some interest, but now you actually have to build that relationship. In that case, it's called dating. Just because you connect with someone on LinkedIn, you don't have that relationship. That's not someone you can call up. So you want to build the relationship. Now, whether you connect first and build the relationship or the relationship is first, then you connect, you have that relationship. And that's what networking is. It's a relationship. To your point, though, the great thing is I don't have to say, hey, listen, do you know anyone in this particular industry? And I have to ask you and the other people in my network. I can now through LinkedIn, look, I can see the secondary connections. I can see who you know and say, listen, uh, I see you know Barbara. I really want to talk to her because I'm interested in the field. Can you connect me? So that's where LinkedIn helps. But LinkedIn itself should never be seen. Unfortunately, some people do see it this way. It should not be seen as the relationship itself. Good point. Good point there. So now we'll pivot a little bit back to your book. In your book, you make a claim that you can give advice to make someone $30,000 with your advice. That's a, I mean, that's, that's a pretty awesome claim. A lot of people will jump for that. How can they do that? 
Okay, I know it's a bold claim, so here's how it works. Imagine you are 30 years old and you have a job offer for $70,000. But instead of just taking that job as is, instead of just saying yes, you have learned to negotiate. Now that can be by reading the negotiation chapter in my book. It could also be by learning to negotiate through another negotiation book, an online class, however you want to do it. But you learn to negotiate. So let's say you read the chapter in my book, and instead of just saying, okay, I'll take the job, you go back and you negotiate. And you negotiate and get $1,000 more. That takes all of 10 minutes to go back and forth in that negotiation. So that one 10-minute negotiation just got you $1,000. If you do nothing else, in your career, if you sit in that job for the next 30 years, you've just earned $1,000 more for 30 years. That one 10-man negotiation just got you $30,000. Now, of course, astute listeners are saying, yeah, there's no way I'm going to be in a job for 30 years. And they're right. Because in fact, you will take other jobs, you'll get promotions, you'll get more raises, and you can negotiate those too. If you learn to negotiate, using my book, using another tool, if you prefer, you can add tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of dollars to your lifetime earning. I know. Now that, that makes that bold claim not, not as far-fetched as you look at it from the, that point of view like that, to make that money as you go negotiating. And that's also a skill that a lot of people do not have, especially as they come out of the schooling system, out of academia, into the corporate world or into their career field, the first thing they learn is not to negotiate, is to try to find that job and just say yes and we'll take it. So negotiation is key to victory in many jobs out there. Exactly. We just talked about negotiating your salary, your compensation. But of course, we negotiate all the time for other things. It might be with customers, suppliers, or partners. We actually negotiate all the time with our coworkers with our boss, with our peers, with our subordinates. When you learn to negotiate, it's not just about more dollars, although certainly that's how we could do the math, but it's going to help you in all of these circumstances and have a massive impact on your career. Exactly. And as you're in your career, you're going to be faced with a lot of different hurdles as you're going through the winding road of the career tool, the career ladder, to if you're trying to go in the corporate ladder, climbing that ladder, you're going to be faced with a lot of decisions in life. What are some unethical questions that employees might face as they make that climb up that ladder? Yeah, it's unfortunate how much unethical behavior I've seen in the corporate world. The most common, unfortunately, has been sexual harassment, has been just things that were black and white inappropriate. Now, those are pretty clear. We can say, yeah, that is not right. Unfortunately, some companies just turn a blind eye. More often, we see things that are more in the gray area. That can be internally things like, well, you know, we don't have any clients here, but let's just pretend there is. And hey, I'm in town, so I'm going to take my buddy to dinner and I'm just going to call it a client dinner and bill it to the company. And we see little things like that. It's the equivalent of stealing the pencil. No company really cares if you take the company pencil these days, but buying dinner for your buddy and calling it a client meeting, a little more questionable. Or we see subtle things where it's not always so obvious the impact. For example, there's a lot of companies where they say, oh, if you buy one of our product, we give an equivalent version to 
an impoverished community. You buy our shoes for every shoe pair you buy, we give a pair to someone else. And that's great and that's noble. What happens in those communities, there has been a cobbler, there has been a shoemaker, and all of a sudden everyone gets free shoes. You just put that shoemaker out of business. You can argue, well, greater good, net value, we're helping many people at the cost of one. You could argue, well, we have to do something with that shoemaker. We now have to help him. So there are subtle secondary effects to some of what we do, and it's important just to think through and understand them. Exactly. And I think that happens not just in big corporations, that happens in every kind of uh, job site you're at. There's that uh, those approaches to things, like your example of taking your buddy to, to lunch or dinner, that kind of thing happens uh, more often than we like to admit. And uh, it's hard to actually stop it, but unless you put it in black and white that you cannot do that and say that, it's not going to stop. Are there other ways to combat the unethical behavior? We need to speak up. We need to say, hey, this is wrong. Because when someone crosses the line, whether it's taking that buddy out to dinner or whether it's blatant sexual harassment, I've seen far too many people just stay silent. Just think, oh, yeah, I don't want to get involved. I stayed silent in a circumstance because I thought, oh, well, the company's going to take care of this. This is so obviously an issue. And then it turned out the company didn't. And so when we speak up, it can be scary. It can be hard, especially if you feel, you know, I'm going to speak up. I'm going to be putting myself out there. So one thing you can do before speaking up, talk to some other folks and say, hey, did you see what happened there? I'm not really comfortable with that. How do you feel about it? And then maybe it's not just me speaking up, it's us, it's two of us, it's five of us, it's 12 of us. And so now you're not feeling quite so low and isolated. And when more voices are heard, think of a protest. One person says, I protest what the government's doing. Ah, you know, there's always someone who will protest everything. But when you get a thousand people in the street, the government says, wait a second, right? So create that community, talk to others, speak up and do so in a group. Awesome. That's great advice for, for the unethical uh, practices that are happening in the, in the field and getting them to stop amongst your peers and in your work groups. Uh, Mark, it's been a great chatting with you here. How does someone get in contact with you to get just one-on-one -on -one talk or even to get you to come on their show? You can reach out to me at my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. And there you can learn more about the book. You can hit me up on the contact page, follow me on social media. You can go to the app page and that'll take you to the Android and iPhone store where you can download the free app, follow the blog, go to the resources page with lots of free downloads. So all of this can be found at thecareertoolkitbook.com. There you have it. You can go to thecareertoolkitbook.com. This will be in the show notes. So you can just click on the link and go to Mark's website and, and learn all the ways that his, uh, his book can help you and he can help you as well. Mark, if you can give three little tidbits of advice to someone just getting into their career climbing up, what would it be? The first is what I said with networking, how if you just learn to be a little better, it creates that compounding effect. The secret is this applies to every skill, to leadership, to communication, to networking. Just get a little bit better with each one, and you're going to get this massive compounding effect. Second is invest in these skills. We focus on getting better at 
software development or accounting or whatever it is we do. And yes, you have to keep up with that. I know in technology, I have to keep up with the new stuff or I'm going to turn into a dinosaur. But we should invest a little time in these other skills, even if it's only 10 or 20 hours a year, more if you can, but that's going to pay off and it will give you those dividends we just talked about. And third, you don't have to do this alone. In fact, it's best to develop these skills in combination with other people. The first download on the resources page is how to create a peer learning group that you can do at your company or create a local meetup group so you can learn in conjunction with others. And that is the best way to learn. So invest in these skills, get the compounding effect of these skills and learn these skills with others. Awesome. Thank you, Mark. And uh, once again, uh, for coming on Misfit Nation and Misfit Nation, don't forget to look up Mark Hirschberg's book, The Career Toolkit, and link in with him on LinkedIn through his website, message him, and get to know him a little better. And if you want him on your show, reach out to him. Great guest. Thanks, Mark, for coming on. Thanks for having me. You know how we do this. Thanks for taking some of your time to spend with us on Fit Nation. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and share the link as much as possible. If you want to, please become a supporter to help us carry this thing on. We appreciate you. If you know someone that brings that energy, has a great story, is an up-and-comer in any industry of music, in the arts, have them reach out to us on TheMisfitNation.com. We will get back to them within one day and get them on here so they can share their story with the world. As always, till next time, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling. Because we are Fit Nation.